Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the only Wasp Rugby fan podcast, The Wasp Report. After six months away, recharging our batteries, Rob and I are back, ready to bring you our thoughts on everything Wasp Rugby over the course of the coming season. Things are going to be a little bit different this season. We decided to focus more on quality over quantity, so the episodes are going to be a little bit less frequent than they have been before, but the content you're going to get is going to be that much better over the course of the year. Hopefully we'll have some friends drop in, but all we're going to do is aim to bring you the best opinions and best podcasts we can every single episode. Now, on today's show, Rob and I are going to preview the big one. The Rugby World Cup starts in eight days' time. From New Zealand to Namibia, we're going to have it all covered. We will also be previewing the even bigger one. As the domestic season gets underway this weekend with the Premiership Rugby Sevens, after losing in the final last season, can Wasps get back to winning ways? This is sure to be a packed show, so without further ado, let me introduce the man, the myth, the legend, Rob Sutton. Hello, hello everybody, uh, and th- thanks for listening to us and putting up with us again for another season. Um, we've both had an excellent pre-season and, uh, and we're good to go for what is going to be... Uh, both a packed and long season, because don't forget we go right into June this year with with the Premiership final, not scheduled until the middle of June, so uh, plenty coming your way over the next uh, few months, and uh, really, really excited to get going again. It's going to be really weird going to Twickenham in a wasp shirt and shorts in June. Last home game is the 6th of June. I know, it's balmy. Utterly well, mental. Well, hey, hey, you say that. I, I went to some Cricket World Cup games in June and still needed a couple of layers. That's so true. Let's not, get, let's not get too ahead of that's, that's very true. But this is rugby. You know, cricket's yeah, supposed to be true. played in the rain, isn't it? That's why they play it in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As I said, we're going to be talking about the Rugby World Cup. First off, to start you off. I mean, I've, I, we were just we were chatting before we came on. Personally, I'm not feeling the hype yet. Maybe it'll be that first game like it was four years ago when I had some mates over and we sat and we watched the first game. Maybe that'll be when the, the hype finally gets me. But I just, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I watched New Zealand-Australia a couple of weeks ago, the Bledisloe games, really, really enjoyed it. So maybe it'll just be the non-England games that I really enjoy in this World Cup. However, Rob... I, I, I think it's a very open tournament. Yeah, I think that's that's one thing that we can get excited about. I, 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 it looks a very open tournament. I think as many as five or six teams have realistic chances to win the thing. Um, and after their performances in the warm-up games, I'm pleased that I think we can include England in that now. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe that maybe that is why I'm not as quite as hyped for it because I just don't really know what's going to go, what's going to happen. Which is exactly what you guys want to hear listening to this preview podcast of the <laughs> tournament. Um, but let's let's start right from the from the beginning, right from the uh, the key, the most obvious question: Who's going to win the Rugby World Cup? Well, it's obviously very hard to back against New Zealand, but for this World Cup, I'm going to, and uh, I'm I'm going to plug for South Africa. Yeah, I mean, I I really like South Africa as a team. I think I think they they've got a really good chance of winning it. I think they are lucky that they they have New Zealand in their pool because well, that, that, that's a big factor because they can't then play them again until the final. Exactly, and with the pool they've got, Italy, Namibia, Canada in there, 
you know, it's New Zealand and South Africa getting out of that pool. It's yeah. going to happen. And really, given how good the sort of top nine teams are in the world, finishing first or second isn't a massive thing anymore in the World Cup. It's not like four years ago where there were three or four teams that were that much better than everyone else, where finishing second was really a death knell in the quarterfinals. This year, as I say, those those sort of top nine, ten teams, maybe sort of top eight teams, are are good enough that on their day in a quarterfinal, anyone can beat anyone. I so, think also the, also the way the fixtures have panned out as well. So New Zealand and South Africa play each other on the opening Saturday. Uh, so next Saturday, that that game is with then the three teams you've mentioned. Those two teams are going to lightly rotate. Everyone will probably get a game or some time. Whereas England are going to go, for example, are going to go into the knockout stages having played Argentina and France, two teams that you're not going to be able to rest players against. Ireland similarly play the hosts in Scotland. Wales play Australia and Fiji, for example. So there's there's that element as well. The fixtures, I think, have worked out well for New Zealand and South Africa playing each other, getting the game against each other out of the way early. Yeah, and I mean, you could say that, but then you can also say that Sure, you may. They may have wanted a warm-up game against a Namibia or a Canada before they come in and play South Africa. Yeah, there's lots of tough games. I think New Zealand have got to be favourites just because we've seen so often that they can get it done in these situations. They've won three World Cups for a reason. Yeah, and going for three in a row. Going for three in a row. I just, I do wonder with them. Whether they're gonna they're gonna just maybe drop a game or lose in a key moment because they're trying too hard to fit their best players on the field. I think, especially over the last twelve months, they've been trying to play Barrett and Mwanga on the field at the same time, trying to put their fifteen best players onto the pitch, and it's not it's the fifteen best individuals that they have, not the best team. And I think leaving La Marpe at home for this World Cup could cost them the tournament because the best New Zealand teams I've seen and I mean it's the only one the only team I've seen live from New Zealand but when I saw them in that Lions series and it was at Eden Park that it really got you because we were sitting up one end and New Zealand were attacking it in the second half and every time they got the ball they looked like they were going to score and having Laomarpe in that side where he's taking runners out where he's you know he is occupying the midfield and he's a good link man he's not a particularly flashy player he's not Sonny Bill Williams he's not Marnonu he's not going to be able to create in the same way they do but I don't think you need that you don't need that in every position in your back line and having someone like Lamarpe in there to just eat up defenders provides a better balance in the New Zealand back line for me and I think it's going to cost them in that they, they play too many of the similar players because they're seen as the 15 best individuals it, that New Zealand have to offer. I think one area of concern I think New Zealand will have reflecting on the Rugby Championship, apart from the last Bledisloe game, I don't think they look as good defensively as we've seen them before. Now, if you think back to the autumn, England got to them with the rolling ball, and you know England probably should have beaten them at Twickenham. Ireland did beat them at the Aviva in the autumn and obviously Australia scored a load of points I know New Zealand had a man set off but I still think Australia would have won that game had it been 15-15 against 15 I think I think teams won't be fearing 
sort of playing rugby against them, if you see what I mean, which sort of happened in the last tournament. Teams went into their shell a bit. It certainly cost Australia in the final. Australia scored a lot of points in the tournament, got to the final, played a completely different game, and New Zealand just picked them off. I mean, Australia showed the blueprint of how to beat them. When they got Karevi playing at, in inside centre and just running straight hard lines, and he was impossible to tackle. You know, he was... Carry, he carried the ball in that game so, so well. And it really showed the blueprint. And other teams have the ability to do that against New Zealand. England have Tuolangi. Ireland have Bundyaki. Obviously, we've seen Australia with Karevi. South Africa have all the ball carriers in the world that you could ask for. They've probably got more Hadley than any Parks other nation. Hadley Parks or Wales. These teams have got big ball carriers who can really hit New Zealand hard put them onto the back foot, and if they can recycle with quick ball, again, there's lots of good back row players at this World Cup across the tournament, across teams. If they can recycle the ball quickly, get it wide. Australia have shown that you can really draw New Zealand in, exploit them out wide as they did in that game, and if you can get up ahead, you can close the game out against New Zealand. They're not as dangerous as they were four years ago. But they're still incredibly dangerous because they're still New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Ireland as well because 12 months ago, 12 months out from a World Cup, Ireland were dead favourites as the sort of Northern Hemisphere side who was going to compete in the World Cup, who are going to be the, the North, they were going to lead the Northern Hemisphere charge, and they were favourites to sort of win the World Cup almost. Mm. And I don't think the 12 months could have gone any worse for them. No. Um, I really don't think they have recovered from losing to England on that opening weekend of the Six Nations. They never got going in that tournament. I know they had a, they had a couple of wins. They beat Scotland. They beat France. They were, they were thrashed, let's put it that way, by Wales in Cardiff. But Wales were going for the slam as excuses there. But they were so poor against England in that warm-up game. Um, their second 15 actually played quite well against Wales in Cardiff, the game they won. But again, their first team played the reverse fixture at the Aviva against Wales. And it wasn't anything special. No, I agree. And they're another one who seemed to have jettisoned working co- combinations that worked 12 months ago in favour of informed players, and it hasn't worked and rather than try and go back to those combinations, the the tried and true formula, they they haven't, and it, it's not working. Whereas you look at England, and as much as a lot Eddie Jones gets a lot of stick for his um, selection policy and selecting the same names, even when they're out of form, and people looking, people who watch Premiership rugby thinking maybe you know this guy's in a bit better form, like a, a, a Ben Spencer from Saracens or. Uh, scrum half, but you look at the the Youngs, Farrell, Tuolangi sort of axis, or the Youngs, Ford, Farrell axis, they've got so many caps together, they've ridden ups and downs, when maybe one of them, or two of them aren't in great form, but they've got the experience of doing that, and they're just kind of peaking over the summer, exactly in the right way that you'd want them to, and England are starting to play some of their sort of best rugby that we've seen over the last four years because these combinations have played so many minutes together they know each other so well that 
England have got two or three different game plans that they can play and be successful because these teams know how to play alongside one another because they've been through thick and thin. And yes, it does leave England perilously short in certain positions, but touch wood, obviously they've still got some training sessions before the tournament starts. Most of those key men for England have got through to the tournament fully fit and fully firing. And that is only England's is only going to benefit England. I, I think you're spot on there. We do obviously have to remember as well, Eddie Jones has a superb record in Rugby World Cup. Um, he has, obviously hasn't won the thing. But yeah, he's not got a great record in finals, has he? No, <laughs> Fucker. No, but... Fucking love Johnny. But, you know, the, the, the whole focus of this, him getting the England job has been this tournament. Where everything's gone before, you could almost consider Grand Slam 2016, longer beat run, whatever winning in Australia, that's sort of all a bonus to the RFU, really. This this is the tournament for, for Eddie Jones. And having to say, I was saying to Alex before we came on, I was at the, the two games against Wales. The second half against Wales at Twickenham and the second half against Ireland at Twickenham are, are probably about as good as I've seen England play under Eddie Jones. They played well in defeating Cardiff with a second-string team. Um, they were unlucky with the potential, with a yellow card for Anthony Watson that ultimately decided the game. I think they're in an absolutely brilliant spot. And so much better than I thought it was going to be when they trudged off after that draw against Scotland at the end of the Six Nations. I was sort of thinking, here we go again with England in a World Cup. But I, I'm really quite positive about England's chances, um, certainly of getting get to the semi-finals. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very simple for England. They're sort of the roadmap that they have in this tournament. They need to win against Tonga in the USA, make sure you get your bonus points yeah. and just build, use your combinations, maybe try out some things, make sure you're settled on your best team, ready for Argentina and France. Argentina looked horrendous during the Rugby Championship. We don't quite know what was going on there. Los Aguilares had a really good Super Rugby, so some of these players are coming in in good form. They're used to playing together. They've been playing together all year. They're going to be a different beast come the World Cup and I think they'll be dangerous especially if they're underestimated in any way France are the same the national team's not been in great form but they've got so much talent there that when they get on the field in that game against England in a World Cup they're going to push England hard and I think that there's definite sort of perils there should England underestimate either of the two teams in their group Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's every chance it could go horribly wrong again. But I feel England have England have a good opportunity to work out what their best combination is leading into those two games because they've got a very quick turnaround between the first two matches. I think it's something like they play Tonga on the Sunday and they play the US. I think on like the following Thursday or something like that. Yeah, it's like a four or five day turnaround between England's first two games. They're going to be two pretty different 15s for those two games you would imagine and then a, then a break leading into the two games at the end yeah exactly I mean it's just get through them win them no injuries that's the yeah. they're the goals get your, get, your, get your four tries it doesn't have to be flashy you know because the trouble is you, you know it's, you know it's going to be like it, the, the way the media and England fans are like if they don't put up points against the US for example 
um, who could be quite dangerous. I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll try and run the ball. The USA. Um, they've got speed. They've got some real speed in that team, and they've got a lot of players with sevens backgrounds there. They're they're a really good sevens side. Um, the USA. So if they can you know, bring some of that sevens magic into the 15s game, they could be a handful for teams. Especially if if the US can score tries from anywhere and they're putting up seven pointers in the game. If they put two or three seven pointers up, then that's you've got to score. You've got to play a decent game to beat them. Yeah. It's just whether they can do that against a defence as good as in England. And I'm just not. Not a hundred percent sure on that one. I don't think they've got enough up front to really compete with the bigger nations. One area I think that's been a real strength for England in these four warm-up games has been the set piece. I mean, they took Ireland's line out apart mm. um, in a way that I've not seen. And England, England take a line out apart for a little while. Um, George Cruz looks to looks a different player at the moment. Oh, I haven't seen him play this well for years. The Atoji of 2016 is starting to come back as well, which is massive for England. And Manu Tuolagi is getting back towards his best as well. Well, I, I just think in that second row area, England are so blessed with talent and talented players who are playing incredibly well. You know, Joe Launchbury's back up to really some of his best form in a white shirt. He's just do he just does so much work that is unseen to most casual fans watching, and he's. He's so involved in the game when he's on the pitch. England are a better side when he's on the pitch. And you know that you can see when he's not there. But at the same time, as you say, Cruz and Itoje are playing so well. As a, and they're a great pair. They play so well together for Saracens. And then you've got Courtney Laws, who's fantastic off the bench in that role. He makes such an impact when he comes on. He makes hard hits. He pushes teams backwards, especially if they start to get into the ascendancy a little bit the opposition, then you can put laws on and he can really sort of change the momentum in a game. So England are blessed, especially at that position. You have to say Laws is going to be one hell of a player off the bench, I would imagine, in this tournament. And I think that's one thing for a lot of the teams who are, who you would say are in with a chance of winning it. It's going to be how well their bench plays in those big games when we get to the latter end of the tournament. Could well decide who wins the, who wins the trophy. Yes, I agree. And I think, you know... Uh, England have got very or could have a very very good bench with yeah, lots of difference right. makers I don't think and this is going to sound so strange to say I'm not sure New Zealand have the depth coming off the bench if they line up no, if they, they line up the way that they have done in the in the rugby championship this year their bench isn't as fearsome as it once was and it is a leveler we've seen that in the games against South Africa because for so so many times in the last eight years, South Africa in the in the rugby championship have been uh, challenged New Zealand to a really high level. But it gets to the last twenty minutes. New Zealand empty their bench. They send on these star names, guys like Israel Dag and um, forwards like Sam Kane or Ardi Salvea, who are on the bench, and it just pushes them beyond the South Africans or the Australians because they don't have that strength and depth. But when one or two of those players aren't on good form like they are now or New Zealand are starting Savea and Kane in the same back row they don't have that same impact off of the bench when they come in and it's really made a difference because teams like South Africa and Australia have been able to win games late on against New Zealand because they haven't had that same impact off the bench mm. yeah and uh, none more so in that game that was drawn during the rugby championship exactly 
Now, talking about a team that has depth and can challenge for the Rugby World Cup, we'd be remiss to not talk about Wales here. Mm. There's only one team who has won the Grand Slam going into a World Cup year. And that was England in 2003. There's only one team who has... And I'm going to preface this by saying the unbeaten run is in competitive games. Whilst these pre-season or pre-tournament test matches are still hard test matches, competitive test matches, they're not on the same level of a Six Nations or even an autumn test. And Wales have that, that kind of winning run still there. They know how to win. And I just think that going into this tournament, they're a real danger if you meet them in the knockout stages. Yeah. Obviously, I I sincerely hope they don't win it. But I see quite a lot of England 03 in that Mm. team. I I certainly felt that way during the Six Nations. Because, let's be fair, Wales were not flashy in the Six Nations. They did what they had to do. They played very well against England in the second half. But that was the only time when they really sort of showed any sort of expansive rugby. Um, that would be my one concern for them, is are they going to score enough points? And are they going to keep the big Southern Hemisphere teams out from scoring? I'm just... The one the one thing I think they're missing, and it's a big thing, but they don't have a Johnny Wilkinson in no, their rank. They they remind me again so much of that England two thousand and three team in the way that their squad is built. They're just missing that one talisman at ten, who is the best player in the world, who can win his side of game on his own by the way he just runs the game at ten. He you know Johnny was the complete package there who would score, who kick from anywhere, who could tackle, who could. Create very underrated creator Wilkinson was, mm. and I just don't see that in Wales. Dan Bigger isn't that good of a player. Yeah, Anscombe was a very very good player, but he's not going to be there at the tournament now. You know, that's a yeah, huge that's... that's a huge loss for Wales as well. Not having Gareth Anscombe there is a massive massive loss. Yeah, it was a very nasty injury that one. Mm. I was. I, I was there on the day, and uh, yeah, it was uh, not good to see. And he's he's such a he's such a good player, and you want to see the best players. Uh, yeah, play. exactly. I've done it three times. I know how he is feeling right now. <laughs> um, so that's really that's the sort of the contenders kind of prefaced. We're going to come back in you know a little bit more detail to a few teams in a in a moment. But one thing I want to talk to you about is. We saw Japan shock South Africa in 2015, that famous victory that really got Eddie Jones... It was the Eddie Jones redemption game for his ability to coach because he was in the wilderness coaching Japan at that point and he gets the England job really because of that victory in that game. Is there anyone out there this year who can create that same level of shock? Well... Japan themselves have to be considered, I think, as host nation on the very last match of the pool stage is Japan against Scotland. Now, Japan, in the opening match, play Russia. I think Russia are going to be the whipping boys of this competition. Uh, They've been beaten by Jersey in a walk game, a championship side. So I don't think Russia are going to turn up many trees. 
Japan, or, or they'd probably lose to Ireland, but they then play Samoa, who they'd beat easily in the last World Cup. Um, and then they, they could well end up with a straight shootout between them and Scotland for, to get out of that pool. And there's every chance Japan could do it with home advantage. Yeah, I agree. I think Scotland have kind of lost their way a little bit yeah. uh, under Townsend. It's a, you know, it's been a strange year for for rugby in in the Northern Hemisphere, and so many settled teams who could have been a real danger are not peaking at the right time for this tournament, which is it's just making me so nervous for England because England are, <laughs> Wales are as well, and I think as I just said, Wales are going to be a, a contender. I agree. I do like Japan's chances against Scotland especially at home the Scots have had the beating of Japan in the last few meetings though and I just think the style that Japan play compared to the style that Scotland plays can be quite similar Scotland are, are more than happy to throw the ball about and to hang hang around uh, with the when the going gets a little bit loose and they play some of their better rugby when the going gets a little bit loose so we saw that in that game against England didn't we yeah and I think that actually the one team that Japan, you know, might struggle to play in that sort of who are in that sort of six, seven, eight, nine in the sort of proverbial rankings in the world is Scotland. That's the one team who I think you know. If it was Japan, Argentina, or even Japan, France, then I'd give them a shot because their styles is the old boxing cliche that styles make fights, styles make games in the World Cup, and is styles especially make upsets. I do I just wonder if someone like Fiji can if it all goes right for them on the day if they can get enough ball that they can get some scores and and make a game fast and loose whether they can really upset Wales or Australia in that pool it's a real long shot but no one would have called Japan South Africa before the 2015 tournament and Fiji have so much talent so much pace so much skill that maybe if there is, for some reason, the Australian pack or the Welsh pack has an off day and Fiji get enough ball that they can actually run some of the plays that they want to run and and have the ball in a bit of open space and off turnovers, that maybe they can score enough points to really put someone under pressure. Yeah, I think looking at that pool, you would, you would say that the shot could come from Georgia, but I'm with you, I think... Fiji are almost a bit of a forgotten side in world rugby at the moment. They're, they've not done anything outrageous in recent years, but you know, in a World Cup, they've always got a shock in them, and none more so, obviously, when they, they famously put Wales out, didn't they? Uh, 2007, I think that was. Um, and they put and Scotland out, I think, four years before that. Yes. yes um, in did. 2003. So you, they're, they're used to it, and in Nakarawa, they've got one of the best players in the world. Well, I, th- I think he once again was up for European Player of the Year and uh, Racing only made it as far as the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup. So that, that tells you all you need to know there. Um, if, if they'd have had a nicer draw, uh, Italy might have done something, but I, I can't say, you know, they're not going to get anywhere near the All Blacks and the Springboks unless something drastically goes wrong. But, you know, they'll be looking to, um, you know, they, they should be beating Namibia and Canada. And if they'd have had a weaker second tier team from when the draw was made, You'd have given them a shot. Yeah, I mean, this is something I want to talk about very quickly. Why the fuck are we doing the draw for the World Cup like, three years before the tournament? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's it? so stupid. Luckily, this year, it's quite an open tournament. 
And mm. the groups are relatively even. I think Ireland and Scotland get off with a very nice draw, having each other in there. But then Japan are very good as well. Uh, not, uh, Japan are pretty good, so that's quite a close group. You look at Australia, have Wales in there. They're two of the best teams in the world. They shouldn't really be one and... You know, the, the top four teams yeah. are in two pools, and it's kind of wrong in that sense. Well, it, I'm not. This isn't making excuses, but it was massively exposed by the fact that Wales and Australia were in the same group last time. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And you know that that, that you sh- you shouldn't have had. A, you know, they were three of the top eight in the world going into that tournament. You shouldn't really have a situation. It, realistically, what you want, obviously, it's nice to have shocks, but you kind of want the top eight to then play the play the knockout rounds. Yeah, I um, mean. Yeah, all this bollocks about them needing to organise test matches and uh, stuff around the World Cup is just bollocks. Because in November, England play Australia, they play South Africa, they play New Zealand, or minimum two of those three, plus one other. Probably either out of Argentina, Japan or Fiji. Yeah. Uh, That's who they play. Six Nations sorts itself out, and the summer tours... England go to one of South Africa, Australia, or New Zealand, and then in a Lions year they go to Argentina. Yeah. That's pretty oh, well, I think set. Next Lions, next Lions tour they're going to go to Japan. So there you are. Yeah, it's pretty set with who they play. Let's do the draw a year out, or well, that's even what every, that's what every other sport does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the, the football World Cup draws are normally in like the December for the tournament in the June. Yeah, and I mean, you know, these there's there's even more involved with the planning for the F- Football World Cup. You know, the Euro 2020 is happening across the continent on yeah. hun- on all the loads of different countries, and that draw is only going to happen in the December beforehand. Yeah, you know, it it doesn't make sense to keep doing it this way. Yeah, but anyway. I, I, I'd imagine as well because I, I think from twenty twenty three we're going to twenty four teams, so maybe that will inspire a change in the thinking. Because yeah. also, when you do when you do the draw, you get drawn with Europe three and Asia two. Yeah, so it's not they, haven't, even, they haven't caught, they haven't qualified yet. It's not even like you can plan for the teams that you don't normally play in who you organise no. your fixtures against. Yeah, England. When the draw was made, England knew they were playing France and Argentina, who they were going to play. You know, they play France every year anyway. Yeah, they, I can't remember the last. Probably when Elliot Daly got sent off, that's probably the last time they played Argentina. But you know, it's 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 baffling, and it's a difficult one to explain to people who don't who don't get rugby. Because someone someone at work the other day was saying, "How have New Zealand and South Africa ended up in the same group?" Because you know, if you look at the bookies, they're the two favourites. Yeah. You can say, oh, draw, draw's done three years ago, mate, because it's yeah, rugby's that's what I, fucking that, stupid. That's what I said. He was like, what? I mean, at least, you know, it gives people a chance to plan what games their team are going to be in, but uh, that's about it's the only up. upside I have for yeah, it. The only upside is it, it, it is helpful for the supporters. That That is one That is one good thing. And I mean... That the football tournaments don't have. I mean, rugby is famous for not being helpful to supporters, no. Cough, Champions Cup fixtures. <laughs> um, so, you know, small small mercies, as it were. Small mercies. Um, with the teams, teams done pretty much. We're going to come back in a minute. But 
you know, I mucked up when I was writing out my notes. So, um, <laughs> let's, who, who are the stars? Who are the players that we're, you're really looking forward to watching in this tournament? I'm really looking forward. If he, if he, if he stays fit and he's, he's, he's at his brutal best, I, I, I really think Manu Tuolangi could be a star of this tournament. I think this might, this might well be his time. Uh, for England um, I was going to say I, I wanted to say Deante but he's obviously a few issues there now he'd have been one yeah I mean oh. Chesnam Colby as well yeah that, that that was the name the name that sort of came to mind straight away was to see how Colby plays see if he lights up this World Cup like he could do obviously we lost Chester Williams um, mm. a couple of weeks ago now and Colby has that same electric style to him on the wing, that same ability to create out of nothing with the ball in his hands. And obviously, Colbe lit the '95 World Cup alight. So Colbe Williams lit the '95 World Cup alight with his fantastic try scoring, poaching ability, his ability to to really, you know, as, as soon as the ball got into his hands, the crowd would stand up, and you know, there'd be a noise level reminiscent of kind of how the Rico used to get whenever Wade got the ball in his hands. Mm. And I just think Colby could have that same effect on this World Cup in Japan where whenever he gets the ball, people are on the edge of their seat just thinking, oh my God, what is going to happen? What, you know, how, where are we going to go from here? So I, I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing him in this, in this World Cup. For me, it's Alan Wynne-Jones. I just... Mm. I want to see what he does next. I've spoken about how good England are with their four second rowers, but I'd trade anything, any one of them for Alan Wynne Jones right now. Yeah, there was a lot. There's been a lot of talk in the media this week with Andrew Strauss and Jeffrey Boycott getting knighthoods about a possible Martin Johnson knighthood down the line, and I think Alan Wynne Jones is the closest thing we've seen since Johnson to Martin Johnson. The way he leads that Wales team, the the just dominant presence that he is on the field I I think if Wales are going to go far in this tournament it's going to be behind their talisman and Alan Wynne-Jones is that guy he is that talisman who can make a massive difference to Wales going forward I'm also intrigued as well I'm not sure if he's going to be a star of the tournament but he's certainly going to be one that's worth watching in his final tournament it's going to be Rory Best because Christ at Twickenham he had, he had the worst game I've ever seen him play, and I've been watching him play for years. Yeah, I, he was not. He did not play well, did he? And he has had that the yips a little bit with mm. his line-out throwing. It has happened in the past, and you think the lad, the young lad from Leinster, who um, yeah. is so talented at, at hooker, how how long, you know, is it going to be? How long is it going to be before they hook best if he's underperforming? Yeah. Because in a World Cup, you can't have... You can't. You have to be a bit cutthroat at times. Yeah. And I just wonder how long Joe Schmidt will stay loyal to, to Rory Best. And, it, it, and loyalty can knock you out of World Cups, as brutal as it sounds. Exactly. Absolutely. 100%. And I, think, and, I, and I think it was something that badly cost England last time. Mm. That, and I think, you know, there are certain players that torpedoed that 
campaign um, as we keep hearing in the press but there are never any names mentioned I really I want someone to do like a Michael Owen style write a book and tell everyone because but I really want to know I'm just nosy like that yeah I I see what you mean I just I really want to know Stuart Lancaster's too nice a bloke to write a book like that yeah exactly so is Chris Robshaw you know again another stand up bloke Maybe Haskell will do it one day. Slightly diverging the point, but I don't know if you saw the Italy warm-up game last Friday. Uh, bits. I saw bits Chris of Robshaw was a pundit. What has happened to his hair? Oh, don't. I've seen this. Yeah, he's gone for the old Aguero, bleach blonde look. Oh, it's unbelievable. It just, it, unbelievable it, it, stuff. Right, Chris, mate. Chris. Chris. <laughs> You're a flanker. You're in your 30s. You play for Harlequins. All right. We don't only need to. A player, only a player for Harlequins could have that hairstyle. Yeah, but we don't need to be doing that up top with a barnet. <laughs> Come on, you're a you know you're a stand up bloke. You know, you look like you look like he could go and work in the city if he wanted to, and he puts a suit on. He scrubs up really well. Let's get rid of that. Just shave it. Go bald. You look fine. <laughs> anyway, finally, I mean, we've spoken quite a bit about the home nations, but. Almost in a one sentence kind of thing. What do we think, or what do you think, would constitute success for the group of teams that I am coining as the Triple Crown Four? Uh, okay, well, success for Scotland will be getting out of the group. I think they'll take that. The rest of them, it's it's quite hard to tell. I think Wales will really feel they they can win it. Um, but I, I do feel Wales have got this. Wales have not beaten New Zealand for about 305 years isn't it or something like that uh, they've got this real sort of hurdle to get over so I think Wales will need someone to knock out New Zealand for them and then they could well win it in- I think England's success for England I think would be a semi-final and I think Ireland the same I think after the year that Ireland have had a semi-final is is success for them well they've never, they've never won a knockout game so it's, that very true and I think that they need to reset after this tournament they need to get rid of Johnny Sexton as fantastic as he's been he's not going to make four years time so you reset and you go again and I just wonder I think that they, they haven't quite peaked they peaked a little bit too early in this cycle they'll be dangerous but I don't think they'll be good enough to win it you get to the semi-final you get to the semi-finals Good tournament. England, I think, depending on what the loss is like in the semi-final, if they go up against the Wales in the semi-final and lose, then it might not be constituted as a success because we know we can beat Wales. We've done it this last year. If you come up against a South Africa or New Zealand and they turn it on and they play to their full potential and you get beaten in the semi-final, then so be it. That's a successful tournament for me. You know, if Wales play to their full potential and England play to their full potential and Wales just pip England in the semis, then it's a successful tournament. Yeah. It's, yeah, so, if England had a so much of it is on the performance, I think, yeah. for, for these nations. Scotland is the same. If you, you get out of the group, you convincingly beat Japan in your last group game and then, like in the last tournament, you go toe-to-toe with someone in the quarterfinals and, and lose because they've got slightly more talent than you then 
you know, you pat yourself on the back and you regroup and you go again in four years' time. For someone like Scotland, winning the tournament is fan- is almost fanciful, given the way the game is there, the lack of pro club opportunities and the, the smaller player base that they seem to be picking from all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, say England had a game like they had against New Zealand in November, went out on that, where you couldn't really fault them, apart from the fact they didn't, didn't quite get over the line. Um, you know that that's a good tournament, and you've also got to remember where England were a couple of years ago in down in the dumps, fit in the Six Nations, well beaten in by Scotland and France, and you know that I'm not sure many then would have thought that uh, that, that they'd be that they would have gone so close to beating New Zealand when they did meet them, and they obviously and they did beat South Africa, of course, in the autumn, although they maybe were a touch fortunate that day. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, there are there's a real opportunity there. I think for Wales, they have to win it for this tournament to be considered a success, and that's yeah, I think you're right. That's massive. But this group of players, this group of coaches, the building that Warren Gatland has done over his whole career in Wales, it has to peak at this World Cup, and it looks like it's doing that. They've got better and better every year going into this World Cup. They've got some. They've got the best players probably in the northern hemisphere the best team in the northern hemisphere going into the tournament they have to think it's shit or bust time now they're going to tear it down after this tournament they're going to start rebuilding i think they have to go and try and win this world cup you could almost suggest a bit like it a bit like to a certain extent it was for england in 03 it, it i think it feels now or never for wales i don't think they have had as good a chance to win the World Cup, and that includes when they made the semi-finals. Uh, that was eight years ago, wasn't it? Two thousand and eleven, they made the semis. Uh, this is a much better team than they had then, and you just got that sense. And when I was down in Cardiff for the England game and chatting to people in the pub, as, as you do before and after a rugby game, they're not quite sure how to, they're used to sort of going into World Cups, going, oh, you know, we, we could get to the quarterfinals, the semi-finals, that'd be great. You know, I'm not sure how comfortable the Welsh fans are about being sort of touted as a potential winning team, whereas the players, I think, will thrive on it. I agree, and I think, you know, Warren Gatlin losing to England a couple of times in these warm-ups is the best thing that could have happened to Wales because Mm. Gatlin can then, he can do what he does well. He goes into these tournaments as a slight underdog. Whilst we're saying Wales are the best-placed Northern Hemisphere team, no one really expects them to win this tournament. No, it's, yeah. it's all about South Africa. It's all about New Zealand. It's all about England, Australia, Ireland. Even you know Wales are they're good, and amongst rugby knowing folk, they're they're high on them. You know they're a good side. We know they're a good side, but casual fans won't put Wales on name value alone up with those top top teams. And we saw it as Wasps fans. We know so well just what Warren Gatlin can do with a team when they're underdogs going into a knockout stage of a tournament in big games, that belief that he can instill and he has the leaders in there to do it in Alan Wynne-Jones and other players in this Welsh side. You know, I just, I've got a, a, a sneaky feeling that Wales could go all the way in this tournament. And whilst you know, there's a part of me that is English and so doesn't particularly want Wales to do it. But there's another part of me that just respects Warren Gatland so much and I'd absolutely love him 
to return to get to return to New Zealand having won the World Cup with Wales and then turn down the New Zealand job. <laughs> I just I think if I think if Wales if Wales did win the World Cup, I think I would go on a long holiday. I think that would be my first port of call. I mean it would be horrendous. It would be utterly, utterly horrendous. But, I tell but you what would there's, there'd be that little bit of there'd be that little part of me that's so proud for Warren Gatlin, especially <laughs> considering we we were there in in New Zealand for the clown stuff and you know yeah. how much they hated him for wearing the clown nose to his press conference, the New Zealand media, <laughs> and just that whole series and the the us against them mentality that was in the New Zealand media in that Lions series and. You know everything he's done for Wasps. I just, I really would want him. I really want him to win the World Cup. I just don't want it to be with Wales. I wish it would be with England instead. I would. Um, I'd also like to make a request. To, uh, obviously, World Rugby aren't going to be listening to this. But if Jerome Garces could referee all New Zealand matches, just to see the New Zealand Herald explode throughout the tournament. <laughs> Garces and Barnes. Garces yeah. and Barnes, just you know, flip flop between New Zealand games. Uh, fabulous, love it. I do, I, I, yeah. I did. I'll see if I can find it. I did see who'd got the New Zealand South Africa pool game, but I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. I'll I'll, uh, I'll endeavour to find out before we finish recording. Um, but no, obviously we sent off um, Barrett didn't he, in the Australia game. So uh, yeah. yeah, and it was just, it was just, a just, right it was the it was, right was, decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yes. Okay, I'm pretty sure that is about all we have for the uh, the World Cup. So now we've got that silly little tournament in Japan covered off. Let's move on to things that are a little bit more important, shall we say? I switch our focus to some real rugby, or real rugby sevens, as it were. The domestic season gets underway with. Just- Traditional just, before we do the seven, just before we do the sevens, it is Jerome Garces who's got the New Zealand South Africa game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be fun to watch. That Carl is going to be running, fun Carl to Dixon's watch. Carl Dixon's running touch. Yeah, uh, Carl Dixon, mate. Quality referee. He's, he's uh, also one of the only referees who actually replies on Twitter when you say something, you know, half nice, half dodgy about him. So... Um, <laughs> You know, good lad, really good lad. There we go. Now, we'll move on now. let's move on. Silly little tournament in Japan is all covered off. We're going to move on to the Premiership Sevens. Wasp squad is a really exciting mix to me of first team players and young lads who are on the verge of making a breakthrough into the uh, into the actual squad. I think Wasps can win the tournament. We've, we've, we, you can see the pace that's in their team, and I just think that they've got a really good head in uh, Marcus Watson involved in the coaching team. Lee Blackett, com- these players are comfortable playing the seven style, and I think it's a it's a tournament we've done well in in the past and can do well in again. I don't know what you think about this, but um, I've floated it out on Twitter that this is more this this sort of lineup Wasps have named this year is actually more exciting than the season they sent Wade Robson Bassett Guy Thompson and hammered everybody. Yeah, I mean because that was great and it was great to watch them do it and it was at the Rico Arena and all of that. 
was great fun, but to see him, I'd love to see him overcome it, playing some lovely sevens in really close games. Like last yeah. year, if they'd have actually come through with all the injuries they had and all of that in the final, if they'd have beaten Saracens, it would have been a much, much better feeling. And that's not, you know, us being unkind to, to Robbo and, and Bassett and everyone who, who did so well to win the tournament those few years ago. You know, this year, getting to see Ben Velikot, Paolo Adogaru, Zach Kibarigi in a wasp shirt for the first time, seeing someone like Will Wilson, who could actually have first-team minutes for Wasps this season in the back row. He's a really talented lad. Will Porter, who is probably going to be the third scrum half for Wasps this season. But we saw last year that Craig Hampson got lots of minutes as the third scrum half. And Will Porter's an exciting young talent who could come in and take a starting spot even in future seasons. So it'll be really good to see him playing. Guys like Ross Neal, again, who's someone who's played in the first team and, and looked really good last year. Jacob Umanga, who has torn up trees everywhere he's been and played really, really well, really good plaudits, but never quite played enough for Wasps, for fans to see him involved. It looks like he's going to be involved around the first team a lot more this season. He's staying put, he's staying at Wasps. He gets his chance here to really show what he can do from a creative aspect. He's got great people to learn from in um, Lima Sopoanga in training and, and Jimmy Gopeth, obviously. And so it'll be really interesting to see how he goes as well. And then obviously you've got Callum Serka, who set this tournament on fire last season and set all of the um, Premiership Rugby Shield games, yeah. whatever they called that fucking A-League tournament, set those set those games alight with an incredible number of tries, some incredible performances. Yeah, it's a really, really good side. I really like the look of and the balance of this side. Yeah, they've definitely got a good chance. Um, there's a few teams. I mean, uh, Saracens are always going to be tough, aren't they? Um, yeah, they've got such strength and depth. They obviously won it last year. Exeter normally do quite well in this. Um, Sale have got quite a good record in the sevens as well. Obviously, a dog who came through there, he's played for them in the past. So um... Leicester are a team to watch out for this season. They they won the um, the under 18s Premiership Cup. Yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, this last season, the back three that played for them in that tournament in the final were absolutely electric. Are playing in this tournament this weekend, and they are really really good to watch. They're in Wasps' pool as well. Mm, it's going to be a an incredible matchup when Wasps play Leicester. Late, I think that's later on on um, tomorrow evening. So yes, Friday I evening, because yeah, this I think this podcast might about, go out Friday morning. So Friday yeah. evening. <laughs> yeah, that game. I think Wasps' first game is about six o'clock, and then I think they play about quarter to eight. Seven. Yes, yes, so, yes, um, yes. Yeah, I, th- I must admit, I, I think we've discussed this before. I think the move to just making this a, a weekend event with all 12 teams rather than having the sort of regional events and then a final has worked really well. I agree. I love it. I love this tournament. Oh, I think it's a fantastic idea. And and Franklin's Gardens, I've been a couple of times since I've done it in this, this one. And Franklin's Gardens is a very good place for it. Obviously, it's easy for everybody in the country to get to. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think it's uh, be good fun if you if you're heading down. They, they do it very well there. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's a really good tournament and something I really want to go along to one year. But 
Yeah. Not this weekend. This weekend is busy. Busy, busy, busy at the minute. Talking about busy, Wasps dropped a little bit of news uh, this afternoon. For those of you that missed it, Di Young has come out and named Dan Robson and his son Thomas Young as co-captains for this season. Uh, a couple of notes on this. It is just for this season. Um, Joe Launchbury is obviously away with England at the World Cup. He will then have to have a rest period after the World Cup has finished. He will then also go into Six Nations period with England, You one would assume. Now, all those periods, there are premiership games going on. He, it all adds up to Joe being away from the squad for a long time. He's not been with the squad all summer. He hasn't. He's not going to be there for the start of the premiership season. And obviously, he's missing that big chunk in the new year. So, Dyer has named Thomas Young, Dan Robson, his co-captains. For me, this is huge news for one reason, and that is Thomas Young is out of contract at the end of this year. If he wants to play for Wales, he is going to have to go back to Wales and play for a Welsh club at the end of this contract. Obviously, Wasps want to keep him. He could have been capped by Wales over the last few seasons. While he's been on this current contract with Wasps, he has won a couple of caps, but he's really on the edge of the Welsh setup. I think a move like this is not something that Dyer would have done had Thomas already made up his mind that he was going back to Wales. And to me, that says that Wasps are a suitor, a large suitor in his destinations of a place to play from next season. Yeah, definitely. Definitely think that. Look, it caught me a bit by surprise. Wasn't expecting uh, that sort of announcement to come today. Fully understand the reasons behind it. Um, and as you say, it is just for this season. And uh, one would imagine Launchbury gets reinstated for the 2020-21 season. Um, but you know, it is understandable as well. I think you alluded to it there. That with the World Cup, there are quite a lot more games during the Six Nations this year because the Premiership Cup is all being played over the next few weeks. So, um, and there are some quite big games as well: Leicester away, Saracens home, Gloucester home. They're important games, and um, yeah, I think I think I think it's a good move. Um, I, agree I suppose with you. you could have the situ- could have obviously have the situation where uh, Dan. Uh, goes uh, could could be in the Six Nations squad. You don't quite know there, but obviously that's probably the reason for having the co-captains. I'm not a huge fan of co-captains on the on the field, but to do it to name a co-club captain for the season, I think is quite a good idea. Yeah, I mean, Di has spoken often um, about not actually having a captain in for longer than three or f- two or three seasons because yeah. of all the extra. Uh, fuss and extra commitment that goes with being a captain it takes up a huge amount of the players time so you saw quite a lot actually at the premiership rugby launch event in uh, on wednesday quite a lot of clubs sent along players who weren't their captain because they're giving their captains a break or their captains are away with england or you know there's lots of different things that go on joe does an incredible amount of work as wasps captain in the community and going along to functions and events and appearing at different places. So this season, he gets to take a bit of a break from that. You know, he actually gets to spend some time with his family and things. You know, more time with his family when he's not with England or with playing with Wasps. He actually gets a chance to rest and, and chill. And that would be better for Joe 
and his career. It will be better for Joe this season and it will be better for Wasps because Joe will be fresher and in, in a better frame of mind, you'd imagine, going into games. He'll have that little bit of a weight, just an extra weight taken off of him in a year where there's an awful lot going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, as you say, the, um, the launch happened on uh, Wednesday and uh, we are obviously a week on Saturday is Wasps' first match in the Cup, which uh, I think they will take a lot more seriously than we've seen in previous years this year. Yeah, I'm hoping you'll see a blend of, of sort of youth and experience similar to what we're seeing in this Sevens tournament. Yeah, um, you, you, would, you would imagine most teams are going to use because you don't want your your first choice players if they're you know, obviously if they're all fully fit you don't want them going into that first game at the back end of October undercooked uh, no undercooked, of course which I think which I think a few teams wasps included got caught out by when we started late four years ago yes I agree I agree with you there so all the Premiership action is live on BT Sport Friday and Saturday and be sure to tune in and catch some of the stars of tomorrow tear it up on the turf at Franklin's Gardens that's all we have time for in this episode make sure you follow us on Twitter we're at the Wasp Report also Rob and my own Twitter accounts are right there make sure you follow us uh, especially for me with NFL and college football season in progress right now lots of takes over the weekend on different sport I love my sport Rob's the same obviously cricket season's coming to an end for him but uh, so that means you're, you're, we, 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 you haven't got, got a little bit to run. <laughs> I know Essex, Essex are right in the county championship race again. Um, so, you know, you don't have to cut through as much waffle on Rob's timeline um, from about two weeks from now. So weeks, those weeks of you... Sat, week, week Saturday, I lose interest after 2020 finals day. It's always the same every year. Fair enough. You know, those of you that have got Rob on mute, you can unmute him in about 10 days' time. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back in a couple of weeks to three weeks to a month just before the start of the Premiership we'll do like a mid Rugby World Cup podcast and a little bit of a Premiership preview in there as well uh, we're going to be at a couple of games this year we're going to try and actually get to the same games uh, the two of us so that we can maybe do some stuff at the game after it whatever suits us best thank you very very much for listening as I say we will be back soon discussing all things Wasp Rugby. We might even watch the Premiership Rugby Cup games that we can this year and actually take them a little bit seriously. Um, Just depends if Wasps are going to, which I think they will. Again, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, share, let people know we're here. Um, We do try and share the love on on Wasps. So, um, yeah, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.